You're listening to the VJ Books Podcast, produced by vjbooks.com, the premier seller of signed books. In every episode, we chat with an author, discuss an upcoming book, or give you tips on how to start your book collection. Make sure to follow this podcast on your platform of choice to get the latest updates, and subscribe to us on anchor.fm for ad-free episodes. For just a dollar a month, you can get exclusive ad-free episodes, plus a monthly discount code usable on anything in our store. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the VJ Books Podcast. Our guest today, the amazing Philip Fricassi, an award-winning author and screenwriter among his many other talents. He has worked in marketing as a music executive, as well as a security guard and bookstore owner. As a screenwriter, he's had movies produced by Lifetime Channel and Disney Productions. Early this year, we interviewed him about his upcoming major novel, A Child Alone with Strangers, a tour de force that manages to evoke elements of horror, crime, police, procedural, fantasy, science fiction, and a taste of gothic. That is coming out in October, and we will put a link to that interview in the description today. Today, our topic is his short fiction. His short stories have been published in numerous magazines and anthologies, including Best Horror of the Year, Nightmare Magazine, Black Static, Dark Discovery, Cemetery Dance, and others. They've also been gathered in two shudder-inducing collections. The first, Behold the Void, won Best Collection of the Year from both This Is Horror and Strange Eons Magazine. Most recent collection, Beneath a Pale Sky, which, as one reviewer noted, there's some very powerful and disturbing images in these stories, but also the final image from the last story was a perfect way to end the book. We'll talk about that and the mix of tales in both books today, as we are very pleased to welcome the authors whose work the New York Times calls terrifically scary, Philip Procasi. Welcome. Hey, Roger. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. It's all. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And you have said that you were always going to be a writer, though you did other things along the way. Were there parental expectations involved or not all your own? Um, no. My family, uh, generally speaking, aren't big readers. I didn't grow up surrounded by, you know, household books or whatever. They, you know, my dad was a is a, a politician and um and my mom worked, but yeah, they weren't big readers. None of my brothers and sisters are necessarily, you know, they all read, they all read casually, but they're not writers. They're not, you know, huge readers. So no, it was just something that, um, for whatever reason, the, the, the chemicals in my particular mix of, uh, brain, uh, geared me toward an obsession with writing and, and reading. And, um, and I, and I, you know, I'm a big you know, book collector as well. So I just, I think there's something about books and about writing that I just, um, I really connect with. And it's, it's, uh, it's very satisfying for me. And I think, as I recall that, um, you bought books from VJ and you were a, a, a client before you became a supplier. Yeah. I've been buying from VJ books for years. So yeah, I love buying signed books, and it's actually um, been interesting to now be on the other side of it as an author because I know how obsessed I am with always wanting like a signed copy of a book or whatever, and I have a lot of readers who are book big book collectors as well, and um, and so when I started putting out my own books, it's something that I really wanted to focus on, which is always making sure signed books were available. And, um, cause I, I know how gratifying it is to have a nice signed copy of a book. So partnering with VJ books was a natural 
fit. I mean, the fact that they, and I reached out to them and, and they were gracious enough to, um, to carry my titles. And I think, I think they've done pretty well. So, so now they're carrying a lot more of them, which is, which is amazing. Yeah. My, my goal would be to have, you know, all my books available as signed editions, as well as, you know, non-signed editions. Sweet, sweet. I had to back up a little bit. Can you recall the first book or story that made a lasting impression on you? That's a good question. I, you know, I've been, I was an early reader, early writer. Um, I don't, I think I would say, um, I think I'd have to go with the Chronicles of Narnia um, as a kid. I think read, I remember very vividly, one of my very, very early vivid memories is reading um, The Last Battle. And there's a scene in The Last Battle, and if you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia, this is a spoiler. In the scene in The Last Battle where, I wouldn't even spoil it, where something very tragic happens to the good guys. And I remember... uh, you know, laying on my couch in my living room, parents, you know, my parents' house and, and reading this. And I had to put the book down because I was crying because I was so upset. And I remember thinking, and that's the only time that's ever happened to me in, you know, my life. But I remember thinking what an impact reading that story had. You know, even then, even then I was, I don't know how old I was. I was five or six or whatever. But I remember just like thinking like, I don't know. I had the, I made the connection in my head that like, a book having that kind of impact is, is very significant. The only other book I've ever put down while reading was uh, the shining. And that was for a different reason. (laughs) That was because I was scared shitless. And so I, I, I had to put it down. It was during the, you know, this is, uh, I hadn't seen the movie at this point. It was very young. Um, But, and I wasn't allowed to see rated R movies, but I remember reading the book and I remember reading that the hotel, the, um, the bathtub, the famous bathtub scene, uh, with room 237. And that was when I had to put the book down and out because I was so scared. I couldn't, I couldn't keep reading. So those are the two probably most impactful reading moments of my, of my young life. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Those are fascinating stories. There's one more early question. That is, was there an instructor teacher that may have been helpful in providing you education? You know, I would love to point to somebody and say that they were an inspiration because um, I loved, you know, teachers are such an important part of, of, of our society and upbringing and everything. I, but really it was just always something I did on my own. Um, I never, you know, even when I, um, you know, I just, most of the writing I did was not for, you know, school or not. And I did it on my, it was my hobby. It was, I, I would go home from school and I would write um, poetry um, I would write, I, you know, when I was, I think when I was like 13 or 14, I, I tried to write a novel. I, I did not, I did not finish it, but it was like a science fiction novel. And the reason I didn't finish it at the time was because I was frustrated because I didn't know enough of, um, to, 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 you know, to, to technically write what I wanted to write. And I was very, I remember being very, very frustrated. So I was kind of making it all up. And I think at the time I was like, this isn't the way it works. I should actually know what I'm doing or what I'm writing about. So I kind of abandoned, I did, I did write a novella, a horror novella when I was like 14 called the forest. Um, But no, everything I kind of did, I, yeah, I was like, you know, when we, you know, when we we were in math class, I was writing horror short stories and, um, and so, no, it's just something I just, I just, for whatever reason, I it just was always part of me. It was a part of me from as early as I can remember. In fact, I was talking to my brother a couple of days ago and he was calling me and he said, I just ordered your new book. And he's like, I just wanted to, because I just got to tell you how insane it is because the whole time we were all, 
because I remember very vividly when we were little kids and we were growing up and you always talking about, always saying that you were going to be a writer. And that was like, I just, and now you're doing it. And it's just, he's, he was just kind of blown away that I managed to like stick with it. And it's, you know, but it's, it's my, it's just something I enjoy so much. I can never imagine not doing it. Okay. Well, let's start talking actually about what we're here for. And that's, those are the, the collections of your stories. Let's start with Behold the Void. Um, to paraphrase Renee Zellweger and Jerry Maguire, you had me at the title, mm-hmm. which is a subtle oxymoron because by definition, there is nothing to behold in a void. And that kept me going round and round for a while as I thought about that. Yeah. Stare into the void and the void stares back, right? Um, yeah, you know, and it's funny. Titles are tricky. Uh, oh, and that yeah. one took, took me a long time. Both my books, both titles, you know, I, it's something I, um, you know, you gotta be very, there's a lot that goes into the idea of doing a t- title. Um, obviously you want it to be tonally correct for what's in the book. Um, you know, it's so it's, but and you don't want one that's necessarily hard to search for. Um, you know, I, I did, a, I was in a book recently called Revelations. Uh, that was a, and this is nothing against the publisher of that book. It's an anthology of short stories. And I, one of the stories along with Stephen King and a bunch of other huge writers, um, not including myself in that. And, but you search revelations and, you know, you know, it's hard. It's a, it's a forest and you're trying to find a pine needle. Uh, But so I try and, so I think about that when I create the titles of the books too, is Mm -hmm. how searchable it is. Other, other books that are titled that way and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't think you'll find any others with that same title, though, because you can't copyright a title. Anybody can. No, but I was there. I was there first. So hopefully that'll stick. There you go. All right. Let's talk about some of the stories there. Um, We don't have to do all of them, but I love when I finally realized what was going on in the opening story, Soft Construction of a Sunset, and realized how one of the characters develops what I would call Dali vision, as in Dali, Mm. Salvador Mm -hmm. Dali vision. And realize that that comes from soft construction with boiled beans, with the melting watches and stuff. That's a fun title if you know the background on that. And it really helps. Yeah. Yeah. I played around with that idea for a while. And I just, um, that was actually interesting because that was one of the, not one of the first stories I wrote, but it was one of the early stories. And um, I think it was the first time I was kind of felt confident enough to sort of like have a fun title in a way you know i mean i think when you're writing early on you're kind of you just don't you don't have quite as much freedom because you're not really that confident in what you're doing uh, maybe you haven't been published a lot or or whatever um but I, I vividly remember thinking about that story and the title for it and i can't remember what the original title was it was different and uh and being like you know what let's just have fun with it like it's because what happens in the story obviously um is you know, in a, it's kind of like a horror version of a Dolly painting. So, um, so I, yeah, so I, I enjoyed kind of like winking at the, uh, the homage of the, uh, boiled beans or whatever. Yeah. Oh, the wink is a good uh, metaphor there as well. So a little subtle because I let's see if I can explain this without giving too much away. Let's say that, uh, one of the characters has the same problem that, uh, Cyclops does in the X-Men. Uh, he has to be careful about opening his eyes. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be careful. And I liked that. I think what attracted me to the idea of that story, which is kind of a classic revenge story, but I think what attracted me to the idea of it was the um, was that this guy, the only you know he's been he was kind of like a you know it was a, it was a skill that he had been trying to unlock since he was a kid, right? 
and always and never could. And it wasn't until he learned the power of, you know, hate and rage that that he finally was able to break through and do it. And at which point it became so powerful because there was so much buildup that that yeah that he became sort of a cyclops situation. But um, yeah, so there's some interesting dynamics to that story, and I, I'm it's a story. It's a it's a bit uh, divisive story from a reader perspective. A lot of people, a lot of people comment that it's their favorite story uh, in that collection. A lot of people comment that it's their least favorite story in that collection. So it's, it's, it's kind of one of those, I think you either love it or hate it, yeah. which I'm fine with. Yeah. Um, Alter. Um, this is one of the stories that I love because you start out, everything's pretty normal and then gradually a little bit here and a little bit there, a little foreshadowing and it creeps into the cataclysmic event at, at the end. So getting that tone, the arc of the tone through that, uh, did you diagram something like that out in advance or does it just flow with you? No, I didn't really think about it too much in advance, but I, I think it's just, um, I think writers have certain like ways they like to tell stories. Right. And I think the way I like to tell stories is I like to, I'm a big setup guy. Um, I like to kind of, set everything up. I'd like to introduce all the characters. I like to create a sense of place. Um, and then I come at you with, with the good, with the good stuff, with the horror. Right. So, um, and I think it's actually worked for me because I think the more invested a reader is in the characters and the more invested they are in the setting and, and the more immersed they are in the setting. Um, and the more connections they feel to that setting then when you do something horrific or when something supernatural occurs, I think it, I think it's more shocking and more visceral for a reader. Um, and I think that's particular setting, which is summer afternoon community swimming pool is something that so many readers can identify easily with. So setting that up um, and kind of putting you there as a reader before the horror, um, you know, jumps in to play uh, I think is what make one of the things that makes that story uh, effective. I, I think um, I recall Alfred Hitchcock used to, to say that no, don't do the dark and stormy night murdered by the babbling brook is much more frightening. So this yeah. is what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I like to, I like to create those nor I like to create some normality and then, and then sort of twist it up. Get you sucked into the story, get you identifying with the characters, thinking, yeah, oh, this is really nice, and then bam, I, I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Horse Thief, um, there's a great character study in this. Your your protagonist here is really a well-rounded character. I think that's one of the ones I got most into in all of the, all of the books. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Um, yeah, the character is uh, Gabino, who is a horse uh, um, trainer uh, from Mexico, and he's sort of struggling with a lot of personal identity issues. Uh, he's had a very hard life. Um, he's had a lot of loss in his life, um, and he has sort of found himself, you know, he sort of finds himself uh, trapped in this sort of criminal element by necessity. And um and it's kind of an interesting story in that I kind of inject some some light mythology into it. I, you know, some of the things that happen to him are a little bit surreal. I kind of think of it as almost like a David Lynch mm-hmm. movie in some ways, that story, um, as far as tone is concerned, um, up until the last act 
and then it becomes a Quentin Tarantino movie. But yeah, yes, um, it does. Yeah, but um, so yeah, so thank you. Yeah, he's he's an interesting he's an interesting guy. He's had a hard life, and I really like the idea of um, you know, I don't without giving anything away. I like the idea of readers maybe not knowing for sure what to think about him, uh, not knowing whether they should be rooting for him or not rooting for him or empathizing with him or sympathizing with him or, you know, not. Um, so, yeah, so it's an interesting character and, uh, and I really enjoyed writing about him and that's a, that's a, that's a fun story. And I, and I'm, uh, broke that into three acts if I'm remembering correctly. And, and I tried the, the middle act is sort of like, almost like that David Lynchian, uh, section and then the last act is sort of that Quentin Tarantino finish. It, it works on multiple levels, I think, including the fact that you're very good at description uh, of all the senses. And my wife is a equestrian for 50 plus years and competed. And your paragraph about the smell of a barn alone, you, you got bonus points there with her. So Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, my my wife is also a, an equestrian rider, what, what have you. So she's a horse and she competes and stuff. So I had some I had some help with that with that. Uh, and I, I and I grew up uh, spending some summers on a farm. So I I'm not totally not from you know unfamiliar with 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 that. But she did um she did correct me uh, with some of the horse uh, uh, terminology. So that I, I was lucky. I had in house counsel for that. Well, that's right. She probably charged you for it too, but that's a whole nother thing. Um, Okay. uh, Rolling through it here quickly. I don't want, I don't want to dwell on a whole lot, but um, Coffin is a really kind of surprising. uh, I had no idea where this was going to go. I, in fact, I thought it was going to go a totally different direction. uh, What with the grandmother and and the granddaughter. Um, You fooled me. You got me big. Yeah. Coffin's kind of a disturbing little story. Um, and it's really, you know, that story was, um, it's kind of an angry story. And, um, and I think that story came from a place of anger, if I'm being totally honest. And I think I wrote it at a time when I was frustrated with some of the horror I'd been reading. And there was a part of me that was feeling like horror was getting a little soft. And... And I think in sort of, you know, um, response to that feeling, I wrote that story with the intention of breaking a few dishes. So um, it's a dark little tale for sure. It absolutely probably the, is. Probably the darkest in the book, I, I would think. I, I think so. Um, I love The Baby Farmer, which is the next one, which this is for weird, but for me, there's a good omens vibe to this. Uh, think of the Terry Pratchett, Neil Gaiman uh, book, Good Omens, um, and what's going on there, which is a total flip from what I thought it was going on. So, again, I, I love I love endings that make you go back and go, oh, and rethink everything that came before. So, yeah, and you know, a lot of times when I'm writing, um, I'm a big reader. Obviously, we talked about. So, a lot of times when I'm writing is. Um, I don't like to do what's expected. Um, I don't like to do what's expected, not only as a writer, but also as a reader. So when I'm writing my own stories, if I start feeling like, um, I don't want to say bored, but if I start feeling like I know where 
something's going or if it's too comfortable, maybe would be a better way to put it. Um, I'll sort of step back and I'll be like, what's a different direction I could go here? Because I think going the way I'm going is sort of pat. And I think I would like to shake it up a bit and maybe surprise some folks, including myself. And I also, it's funner to write those kind of stories because you're keeping yourself entertained as well, which as a writer, when you're entertained, when you're writing, readers tend to be more entertained when they're reading. But yeah, that's, um, that was a difficult story because there's a lot of historical setting to, you know, to it. So, um, so it was, you know, it was a bit of research involved and I tried to get it right, but yeah, it's kind of an, it's kind of a weird, and it's actually based on a real person. Amelia Dyer actually existed and she was a serial killer who killed babies, uh, back in the, I want to say 1700s, right. it's been a while since and, I read it. And you quoted some of her notebooks, as, uh, which, which you have to, have to stop me and look at the grammar, but you got the right, you got it right. And you didn't, you didn't try to clean it up. Yeah, I got some, I got some, I got some, uh, slack for that. I, you know, so yeah, so what Roger's describing is Amelia Dyer actually wrote these diaries when she was in prison and I used the diaries as a, as a, um, as a plot element to kind of, uh, throw the reader off a little bit as to what was happening in this, in my version of the story. And, um, and I, yeah, and I studied her writing style. And I, to the best of my ability, I reproduced her writing style in the diaries, which is lack of, you know, almost no punctuation. Uh, a lot of words are misspelled uh, consistently. So um, it's kind of not the easiest thing to read, but it's authentic. And I, I've, I've, and I've gotten both, I've gotten criticism and I've also gotten praise. So it's one of those things we, look, you're never going to please everybody, but that's the way I wanted to write the story. And so um, I think, I think by the time you get to the end, I think it's worth it if you if you oh. if you can put it if you can put in the work. <laughs> I think it's worth there's it a, at the end. There's a big payoff. I will say that from my point of view. Yeah, yeah. Now, as an old disc jockey, I will never listen to the Beach Boys "Surfer Girl" again and feel the same way after reading the story of the same title. Um, you've ruined it. I mean, or it enhanced it for me. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. That was um, that was fun. I. Uh, I wanted to write about a budding serial killer and um, the song surfer girl obviously uh, plays a part in, in that story. Um, and if you've heard this song as much as I think most people have, uh, it's easy to kind of, when I mention it, that's an interesting thing about writing a story is you can mention a song and you don't have to say anything else about it because people are already their brains are already playing it in their head. So then you can just kind of keep going with the story, knowing that the reader is hearing the song in their head, if it's a very a popular song as that. And uh, so that was what I wanted. I wanted people thinking about that eerie. Cause I always thought that song was a little creepy, you know, and, uh, and had sort of a, has sort of an eerie sound to it. So I enjoyed playing on that. And I also enjoyed, um, there's some dark humor in that story that I was experimenting with, experimenting with at the time. Um, one of the rare stories that has some dark humor in it. Um, but I enjoy, it was fun for me to kind of, you know, uh, try something different with that story and, and do a little more of that kind of like, uh, you know, a little more of like a mix in a little bit of humor with, with the, some very, very, very dark content. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, a great success there. Mother um, is a real character study uh, in, 
and some real surprises. Uh, again, this is one you don't see where it's going for sure. And then you start that realization starts to creep in a little bit more. And finally, when you confirm it, you go, okay, there yeah. it is. Yeah. It's kind of a, who is the real monster sort of story. Um, yeah. And I think I like about mother. Mother was actually the first genre story I ever wrote as an adult, like the first professional sales of, of a genre story. Um, it was kind of the story that started the career I have now. So it was the first published first thing I ever published was the story mother. So it was an early story, but very, you know, I think I wrote it around 2014 and, um, and yeah, I think what I liked about that story was I liked, um, again, there's a relationship, but again, you're not really sure who exactly you're rooting for, you know, who is, who's the villain in this relationship is kind of an interesting, uh, thought experiment. And so that's something I like, I enjoyed playing with. Um, in that story and then kind of taking it into the supernatural realm um, to kind of give it that next level of entertainment value and hopefully shock value and horror value. It does. When um, yeah, the, this is one of those where the last line of it really, really zings the home, but I, which I will not share of course, but right, we'll tease right. you about that. Um, yeah. You also are really good with ambiguity. Sometimes you have the endings. Well, you work with with the reader because you collaborate jointly to produce the effect of the reader's mind. As you mentioned with like the song, all you had to do is mention it and they put the, the, the words in it. But in this one, at the ending, you've just left it purposely lady or the tiger kind of situation. Are you uh, for mother, you mean? Yeah. Or oh, failsafe. Yeah. Failsafe. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, we're talking about failsafe. Yeah. yeah. So failsafe is actually failsafe is actually uh, okay. So failsafe. I mentioned before that coffin is sort of was sort of a response story. Failsafe is also sort of a response story. So when I wrote failsafe, um, there was a lot of chatter in the writing community, the horror writing community, about writings being or endings being too ambiguous. I think there was a kind of overflow of a lot of stories that were coming out where writers would just sort of like have like a creepy setting, create like a scenario and then not really land the ending or not even bother with, and then kind of leave it open for interpretation. And I'm not really a big open for interpretation guy, but I remember reading a lot. I was reading these tweets about that. There was a, there was a whole online discussion about it. And I thought it would be interesting to sort of write a story that's literally about ambiguity in the sense that anything can happen. There's limitless possibilities. And that which, that's what was really fun for me to write that story was that I wanted to create a scenario that was really scary, but that um, not only left it open for interpretation from the reader, but left it open to interpretation from the characters who were in the story itself. And it's sort of that locked room mystery kind of thing almost, but I really wanted to create a scenario where you um, you just didn't know what was in the box. I think Schrodinger's cat is mentioned in the story and yeah, for you know for, on, for, yeah. for for a reason. And um, and and I also like the idea of I think what made that story really work ultimately is um, that I I I chose to write it from the perspective of the thirteen year old boy. Yes. Um, which kind of gives everything a little bit of a haze 
of innocence and uh, a lack of clarity in a way, which I think makes everything a little bit more scary for the reader because you're kind of seeing it through his his eyes and and you're sympathizing with him his um, struggle and and uh, I think that's what one of the things that makes the story kind of click for people. Oh, it absolutely does, and it rounds out with the story uh, Mandala, which. It's less, it's horror, but it's also more of a, a, a the ticking time bomb kind of a, of a story, a race against yeah. time thing. Yeah. But this, I will have to say the setup here, as the pieces fell into place, I thought, oh man, you are really on fire with this one. It just flowed so effortlessly. Was it, was that one an easy one to write or a tougher one? Well, that's one where I, it's a, yeah, no, I would definitely classify that as a thriller. And, you know, I've kind of, in general, I've kind of started referencing, not, not that I have any problem being a horror writer, but I, but just as far as expl- explain to people so they know what to expect from my stories, I often, I often kind of byline it with supernatural thrillers. Um, although it is definitely horror, but I think, but I think subcategory, if you will, is there sort of, most of my stories are kind of like written as sort of a thrillers structure and i think that's where my screenwriting experience kind of came into play with mandala which is i very much saw it i very much wrote it the way i would write a screenplay in the sense that there's a lot of cutaways you know the timing of the cutaways is not accidental uh to kind of build the tension so that by the time you get to the ending um, the hope is that you're holding your breath and clenching the book so tight that you're wrinkling the pages so that was kind of the idea with that was i really wanted to slowly build tension and build it and build it and build it. And so at the end that, you know, by the time it's over, you're, you're hopefully like out of breath, but um, that was a really fun story to write. It's gotten a lot of amazing response. Um, and I'm really proud of that story. And um, that was a weird story in the sense that um, I didn't really intend, intend it to be what it was when I started it. I started it kind of with a different idea uh, and and then um, that idea kind of morphed into what it eventually became. And then once I, once I clicked into that, uh, the, the scenario I put the little kid in that he's in the whole, you know, through the course of the story, the ticking clock, as it were race against the clock thing is um, that's when everything kind of fell into place for me. And I was like, okay, now I know what to do. And I just kind of wrote. So yeah, that was a lot of fun to write. And I, and I, and I'm very proud of that story. I think it's a good way to end the book. It is, and it's also it shows how much your settings can be part of your uh, characters. Actually, in this particular case, it's an absolutely key aspect of it. Yeah, that was one of the one of the first stories I really enjoy, um, and I do this. I do it a lot. Coffin, I think I did it as well. There's a few stories I have. Kind of a recurring theme where nature is sort of a villain um, in my stories. I'm very aware, <laughs> but a lot in my stories, there's a lot of, a lot of my stories have like, there's storms, um, there's, you know, tornadoes, there's uh, earthquakes, there's, in this story, there's kind of a menacing ocean, right? The sun also is sort of presented as a menacing figure. So yeah, nature, nature, I love the idea of nature as a villain. And I kind of see nature being uh, the opposite of mother nature, as most people have it in their heads. And I sort of think of nature being sort of this male villainous protagonist, you know, antagonist, which is very evident in coffin. Um, and, and, and that's a recurring theme that 
even I even in my next collection I play a lot with and I it's fun for me to kind of use that as a as a element the the line uh, nature red in tooth and claw as it were right yeah yeah so let's go to uh, beneath the pale sky um and interestingly enough most of the stories in here reference death or the afterlife um, right is is it that you're getting older is that what <laughs> no uh <laughs> No, some of those stories were actually written before the stories that appear in Behold the Void, uh, Fragile Dreams and Death, My Old Friend, for example. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, no, I, I, it was one, you try to have a, you try and have, even if it's loose, you try and have a theme, mm-hmm. I think, to your, to a story collection. Um, and the theme for that was definitely the afterlife. Um and it's something that I definitely have spoken about it before. I do. It's, it's, it's something I like writing about in my work. I have kind of this, um, you know, mythology in my head of what I think happens when you die, uh, at least in my fiction. And so I like playing with that. And a lot, you know, to your point, yeah, a lot of these stories play with the idea of that, um, of what happens, you know, after. Well, and, and you're consistent with it. This is not where you invent a different afterlife for everybody. Oh, yeah, no, there's a the mythology in my head is locked in. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't sway from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I really appreciate that. So let's take a, a, a quick look at um, some of them uh, starts with harvest. And again, this is one that builds beautifully to where you have no idea where it's going, except there's some foreshadowing at the very beginning. Um, it, it actually takes place at a wedding. Again, the, the ordinary positive, celebration that turns ugly yeah harvest is very harvest and the wheel which i know we'll chat about are are where i come up with that supernatural thriller tagline is yeah i i um yeah it's very much like alter in the sense that i wanted to create a very common setting you know cornfield church wedding beautiful summer day um start creating tension within the characters you know introduce all the characters and then sort of start creating that tension. And I think what, um, I think what I liked about that story is, um, the love story element. Um, the, 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 you know, that, that always, you know, everyone has, I think, I think most people have gone through it where there's always where, where there's, where there's two people and one, they're your friends or whatever. And one person wants more than friendship and the other person doesn't. Uh, but they, but they both love each other, and it's just not different kinds of love. And I, and I think that's something I wanted to, to uh, make a theme for Harvest, which is that kind of frustrated friendship, that frustrated lover uh, element, and then tying that into the tragedy of what occurs at the wedding, um, along with the mystery of, you know, uh, the the background of one of the characters and how right. they got to be. Super, you know, have, have the supernatural element that they have. So, yeah. So that was a, that, that story was a lot of fun. It was very fulfilling to write. I, I, I actually really love that story personally. Um, it's one of my favorite stories that I've written. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. Well, and the ending is very gratifying. I will say, even though it's tragic, it also is gratifying, and that's a tough mix to pull off. Yeah, it's very. I, you know, I, I don't want to say Shakespearean, but I tend to get, I like getting epic with my stories. I like the big operatic feel, uh, like with Alter, for example, um, with definitely with uh, Harvest. Um, I love, 
I love getting big and and having big swooping. You know, I can sort of hear the chorus. You know, the you know, you know, singing in the in the in the sky while I'm while these things are happening. And um, so yeah, so I like I like big sweeping. You know, epic kind of uh, stories. And I, and I also like the idea of building, starting small and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then by the end you're sort of swept away in this insane monstrous you know moment yes again and that perfect for the wheel as well which which builds you know as as you have things approaching and coming together at a common disaster let's put it put it that way um yeah i it, it also uh mentions catalina island which i think shows up in another story which i forgot to write down which one it was so um but you your a lot of your settings are Southern California. That's where you're from, or that's where you're you're living. So yeah, I live in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, to work on that one. Uh, yeah, and that is again gets more and more epic as it goes on, and uh, with a very satisfying. Well, depending on your point of view, conclusion that is epic as well. So thank you. Yeah, for it's that. interesting. Oh, th- yeah, thank you. It's interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned ambiguity earlier, and I've gotten a lot of comments about some of my stories where people are like, well, people will reach out to me and they're like, I really love this story, but I felt like I wish you had kind of, I wish you had been less ambiguous about the ending. And I, sometimes it confuses me because like with the wheel, for example, I, I, I mean, I think you should definitely, I mean, the story, the opening line of the story, this isn't a spoiler. The opening line of the story is it takes three men to and Mary's life. I believe, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm yeah. missing it, but yeah. And and so I don't know why people think it's an ambiguous ending is unclear to me. But um, but yeah. But I get that. I get that in some other stories too, where people are like I didn't. I thought it was so ambiguous. I'm like, what do you mean? Like I told you what happened. So I don't know. It's really it's a little strange. But anyway, I liked um, what I liked about the wheel was sort of uh, like uh, like Mandala. I I liked um, these two. I like these two um, storylines, sort of happening separately and bouncing between them and then having them kind of come together um, in, in an interesting way well, that was a lot of fun as a writer to structure it like that. Again, very cinematic in the sense of structure. Oh, for sure. I I, I can see it in, and the, the book cover might give away a little something about that too. Um, so. Um, well, I just released, I just released a deluxe edition of beneath the pal sky, this collection. And we went, with a different book cover. That's also kind of a spoiler, but I was like, well, like if they're buying the deluxe edition, they already read the story. So they, yeah. I'm not going to worry about it. Okay. Um, Soda jerk. I think it's probably one of my favorites because I don't see it happen. I don't see, I kind of get where it's going. And then when it does happen, um, some people call it tragic. I think, okay, you're going to fit in. No problem. Things solved yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's one of my Sabbath, what I call my Sabbath stories so i had this kind of yeah i had this sort of world i have built uh of S- world of sabbath which is a small a small town that's kind of set in like there's sort of a ray bradbury you know 50s kind of setting and i've kind of created a mythology around that town and um and i wrote another story called commodore which is a prequel to soda jerk which is the short story that you're referring to so and I've written a couple other stories that take place in the town of Sabbath. So it's a really fun play. It's a, it's a sandbox. I like to return to. And, um, and Soto jerk was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to write. It's yeah. It definitely introduces you to, to a whole new town and townspeople and, 
and it's kind of just odd enough where I think it's interesting. It's interesting too because because the Sabbath Lake is a is a character in this story, as it were, and there's a, a place in uh, eastern Washington called Soap Lake, which has a kind of a has some naturally occurring minerals in it that make things kind of slippery as you're, and you can actually, if you go to uh, a hotel, they have a third tap. You can actually take a bath in this weird chemical water. Um, really, I did yeah. not know that. That's really that's fascinating. Yeah, that's kind of. That's pretty okay. much right in line with what's going on in Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I mean, that's why I felt that a great a great deal. Um, that's very interesting. I did not know about Soap Lake. I have to look okay. it up. Yeah, do check it out. Um, let's see. Next, uh, Symphony. Um, there's um, somehow I like the idea of a little statuette hidden that has something interesting about it and. I don't know where that comes from for you, but it, again, it resonates pretty well throughout the story. Yeah. The ultimate found object, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Symphony was, um, it's a pretty dark story again. Um, and it was kind of a difficult story to write in the sense that one, the content is disturbing. Um, so that made it uh, difficult to kind of keep returning to for me, but um, all my, you know, all my stories have disturbing content, but this one in particular has, you know, disturbing content to it for, um, and the other thing with that story is that I tried to, I purposely wrote it in the style of, um, I tried to be very symphonic with the prose. I try, I, I made a, I made a concerted effort to write, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, to write it like I was writing music. Um, to write the story as if I were writing music and um, to kind of tie into the theme and the, and the title and what happens in the story. So, um, for, you know, again, that was a, something I was just flexing, you know, sort of a different muscle with and, and trying to do something a little bit different. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. And I think it's kind of a, it's a very fulfilling story, I think, to read. I've had some people argue with me about the ending, um, the redeeming, the redeeming um, of certain characters, you know, what can I say? I'm an optimist. Every once know. in a while, you gotta, you gotta throw, as you say, don't do the expected, mix it up a yeah. little bit. Yeah. That's what yeah. people like. Uh, I can't even pronounce the next one. I'm going to try it. Atuchus. How would you, I think it's, it? I think it's Atticus. Uh, okay. It doesn't but spell I could, that way. I could, yeah. I could be wrong. Right. It's A T E U C H U S. Right. From yeah, memory. Correct. Yeah. Very good. I believe when I looked, I believe when I looked it up, because I did look it up, because I, I would like to know how things are pronounced if I'm talking about them. I'm pretty sure it's, it's pronounced like Atticus. That C-H is a like hard K for whatever reason. Okay. I think it's Greek, maybe? I don't know. But yeah, it Atticus. It certainly sound, sounds like it. And this it is, sounds like a, it looks like a Atticus. Yes, it, it, yeah. it does. And, and I'm right. thinking this harks back to the science fiction films of the 50s, I think. Yeah, it's definitely... Be, oh, I think Atticus is actually an Egyptian reference, now that I think about it. I wrote that story many years ago, so forgive me if you're listening. I don't know. The um, Yeah, it's definitely a B-movie, um, uh, pulp, uh, very pulp style. Uh, so, yeah, sci-fi, late night cable sci-fi movie um, uh, written in a pulp style. It's written to be very like slapdash and um, and uh, and fun and and scary and what kind of more. Yeah. So I wrote that one in a very different style where symphony is much more, for example, is much more paced and, and more subtle and more subdued. Yeah. Um, 
uh, Atticus is more like a, a late night cable movie B movie um, that you would watch with a you know with a with a cold pizza and a and a beer. And, and it's it's got that that feel absolutely. It's re- really nicely done on that particular. And then there's one that when I first saw it, I thought it no, that's ID. They're both capitalized. Um, and this is somewhere you've said that this is somewhat autobiographical on it. So I wonder how many doppelgangers do you have? Yeah. So actually, the 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 wink to the wink with the title is that it could be either id or id, which is kind of purposeful. Um, yeah, some of that stuff is uh, you know that's a very it's a very personal story. Uh, you know, it's one that I've drawn from. You know, I think a lot of times. A, a, a reader will ask a writer like, Oh, is this character you, or this actually happened to you? And of course, 99.9% of the time, the answer is no, it's all made up. Um, in this instance, uh, some of that actually did happen to me. Um, and it is kind of taken from my own, uh, life, uh, to a degree, uh, you know, to, to a small degree and then enhanced, um, and twisted. But, um, yeah, that's an interesting story. And again, that's, I think in, Beneath, the, I think the biggest difference between the two story collections is, is, is I think this is a story that really encapsulates the difference, which is that I really tried to do beneath the pale sky is much more of me kind of reaching to do things a different way. I, you know, I think I grew in confidence as a writer, and I tried to do, um, I tried to, you know, I tried to kind of flex my, you know, writing muscles a, a little bit on some of these stories. I, you know, where so that's almost an experimental piece in a way. Um, the way it's structured, even the way the text is laid out and stuff like that. So, but it's interesting. I, I almost didn't include it in the collection because I thought it was maybe too, too much of a reach. Um, and I, I think I thought maybe readers wouldn't connect with it, but I've gotten a ton of response about that story in particular. People, people reach out to me just to talk about that story. So I'm very glad I included it because it's, it's kind of become a favorite of the folks who have read that, that book. So but yeah, it's a different story, different kind of storytelling method for me. Uh, and uh, because a lot of it relates to what happened to you, a lot of other people could relate to that. So I, I, so I hope I hope not. I hope not too many people can relate to it. It's, it's very, very sad. But yeah, it, it is. So a couple more to go. A Fragile Dreams. Now, this is a nightmare for those of us who are claustrophobic. Um, yeah. I, this was for the hardest one for me to read uh, personally. Uh, the, the The story is beautifully written, but I had I had put it down a couple of times. So I yeah. think that's a I think that's a win for the author. Yeah, I've got I get that a lot with this one. It's it's yeah. The so it's a longer story. I, I don't think it's a full novella, but it's 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 pretty long story, and I think it's like twenty thousand words maybe. And um, it was actually first published as a novella um as a standalone uh, like booklet um but yeah the whole story takes place with a guy who's buried there's an you know the the beginning of the story this isn't a spoiler it happens in the first couple pages there's an earthquake and the and a guy our character is buried beneath a building of rubble and the whole story takes place from his perspective while he's buried in all this you know under tons and tons hundreds of tons of metal and concrete and um so yeah it's not it's not a hard it's an and then what happens to him while he's buried uh can be a little cringe inducing so um yeah i get i get a lot of people who have said they've had 
they've 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 enjoyed the story they they like that they, you know, they're happy that i wrote it and they like the way uh it reads but it's difficult reading for a lot of people because it's very claustrophobic yeah i mean i'd, I'd give you little breathers here and there with flashbacks and whatnot but yeah but yeah for the most part you're in there with with our friend buried and um bleeding and and there's things with you in the dark so it's it's not a happy time you anyway, it, it just occurred to me it's a uh references in in you know some way the graveyard rats the classic story about going down into the grave to after the rats but and then I'm, to wrap it up i think this this is an amazing piece uh, death my old friend um i think again it's reminiscent of of the good omens it's reminiscent of a book called lamb the gospel according to christ's childhood friend biff um it is death my old friend it's guy that kid that grows up with death and yeah it's literally about a kid who grows up with death as his best friend yeah they're like high school they're like you know they're schoolmates and yeah they're just they're kids and then they get older and they go to college together and yeah it's kind of a it's kind of a fable right so it, it is but it's also i think amazingly uplifting to to run the run out the book with anyway, it, it's it's got its horror elements in it but there is without spoiling it, say an ending that is very, very satisfying. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It definitely leaves you on a high note. I think um, for the collection, I think I, my thinking with that is like, look, I've put you, th- I put you guys with the ringer here with these last, you know, uh, eight or stories or so. So let's get out of here on a, on a high note with a little, with a little sweet, little sweet story. Um, um, and yeah, that story, interestingly, when I wrote, so when I wrote Fragile Dreams and I sold it to the to a publisher, and like I said, it was a standalone booklet. And the publisher said, I need to get this book to a certain page count <clears throat> because otherwise it's it's there's printing issues or whatever. I'll have too many blank pages. He goes, Can you can you do you have another story that you can give me that I can kind of tie into the, you know, put as a bonus story? And I didn't. And I said, Well, how much time do I have? And he said, You have a week. And I wrote and I didn't have I wrote that story i wrote death my old friend in um i wrote the first draft in one sitting uh yeah the day i got off the phone with that publisher i i sat down and knocked out uh that that story from beginning to end without really overthinking it not really knowing where i was going or you know um which is which is unusual for me and um just having the kind of that that real i just just having sometimes i think i just had that idea that acorn of an idea that a kid grows up with death as his best friend. And I think sometimes it's almost refreshing in a way just to be like, you know, what? I'm just going to go and let's see what happens. It's not really a way I do things. I know a lot of writers do write that way. I do not typically. Um, but it was a fun story to write. Yeah. And I, I think I did a couple rewrites. And I think I, I mean, from beginning to end, that story took about three days all in. And I turned it in and he, he added it to the book. So, but it's, a, but it's become one of my more popular stories. And I actually, and I, I can, tell you this because it's been announced uh, uh on deadline uh, which is an industry uh trade paper is i i'm so i'm currently adapting that story for for feature film i'm actually doing the screenplay so they optioned the story and i'm writing the screenplay and it's going to be a at some point it'll be a it'll be a, a a feature film so i'm working on that now as i read that i was hoping that that was going to happen because that really feels like it ought to be and one that would be very well received i am i'm am sure look we have talked for a long time, but I want to mention some things. 
uh, obviously, um, you've got stuff coming out. Uh, let's let's roll through all of the things. Like, where can people find you? What are you up to? That sort of thing. Yeah, I got I got a bit of a logjam right now, and um, of, of releases, but so but that's just the way it happened. Yeah, so I have um, I currently have a, a slate of novels that are all ready to jump out. So I have a, a novel called Don't Let Them Get You Down, which is not a genre novel. Um, and that's coming out from Zagava Press, I believe, this fall. It's, an, it's like a limited edition, but then the trade edition will be out before the end of the year. And then I have a big 600-page crime horror novel, which we've taught, which you've read, called A Child Alone with Strangers. Yes. And that's coming out now October 18th from Talos Press. And then I have um, a novel called Gothic, which is a straight down the middle, old school horror novel. That's a lot of fun. And the reviews so far have been absolutely through the roof, which I'm very happy about. And that's coming out um, February 3rd, 2023. And then I have a novel called Boys in the Valley, which is coming out July 2023 from Tor Nightfire in the US and from Orbit um, in the UK and UK Commonwealth territories. So that'll be a giant global release. And um, and then I have sub, sub, subsequent second novel with both of those publishers uh, for the summer of 2024 called Brothers that I have not written yet. So I need to get on that. But um, yeah, so I have a lot of stuff coming out. Isn't there also a children's book in the works? Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So there's a children's book that just got announced called Boy with the Blue Rose Heart um, that I'm very pleased to have finally in, in publication. So that's going to be released August 31st. And, and then I, I just made a deal to do a third story collection. So that will be coming out uh, as of now. It's very, very early stages, but the plan is to put that one out October 2023. And that'll be called uh, No One is Safe. So that'll be my third <laughs> third story collection. And that's going to be more of um, the th- theme with that one's going to be more pulpy, more pulpy fun, or a little bit of a different difference from Beneath the Pal Sky. It's going to be a little more more of a more more of a more of a fun rompy kind of book so yeah so a lot of stuff going on right now and i have the screenplay to write for this movie so um very busy but um really satisfied to have uh, so much stuff coming out um and i apologizing all the time to my readers because they're they're spending so much money on my books right now and i feel terrible about it but um i think it'll slow down a bit um next summer when once boys in the valley comes out i'll probably be back to one or two books a year instead of this log jam of five or six books i'm promoting right now it's, it's pretty pretty amazing and also uh vj books has you as author of the month for september so congratulations yes on that. And... i'm glad we can say that yeah i'm very very excited you know i as you know i'm we talked about it i'm a customer right so yeah. when i get the books from vj I, you know i just got a package yesterday and uh with a ruth ware book and they have the flyers in there of, with their featured author of the month and it's on their homepage and it's in their newsletters that they blast. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I couldn't be more happy. And um, I definitely going to be pushing a lot of people to the website to buy signed copies of my books. I'm, I'm so excited. All right. And if, if, if you who are listening to us or said, gee, this guy sounds like a really good writer. We, I need a signed copy. We'll get a hold of VJ books. Hey, hey thanks so much. We really appreciate your time today. All, All right. right. Thank you, Roger. Take care.